0: hey mike hi caleb how are you i'm doing really well how about how about yourself
1: i am doing quite well uh as well what are you drinking tonight (laughs) well i am drinking a blood and sand and you know what that means it's an ai episode yes and a fresh orange yeah (laughs) how about you what are you drinking i'm trying something new it's called the
0: sherman uh it's rye sweet vermouth absinthe and bitters oh interesting i had no fresh fruit so i had to go the pure alcohol route (laughs) <laughs> you can never go wrong with pure alcohol. We'll, we'll see how we end the episode. You can let me know. Um, so tonight, uh, this is an episode I've been excited about for a little while because um, there's been probably the most long-term prep on this episode. Um, and a little bit into how the sausage is made. We have a little slack room we use to talk about episodes. And I think this episode room has been around quite a while and uh and we've yeah at been least like four notes. episodes in the background probably yeah and we've been doing doing a little background work on on a little thing which we'll talk about through the episode so uh
1: <laughs> what are we going to talk about mike tonight we are going to talk about neural networks neural nets or neural nets yes which is the thing that is
0: powering autopilot yeah so we've been hearing about this in a lot of different uh capacities tesla's been talking about it um Uh, Google talks about it a lot. NVIDIA has been talking about it. Uh, Apple talks about it. Facebook talks about it. All the cool kids are doing it. Yeah. So it sort of feels like in the past year and a half, two years, maybe this has sort of been a thing. And then there's sort of the broader concept of deep learning and then the superset of all of that of artificial intelligence. Um, And Elon Musk is obviously, like you mentioned, doing things with Tesla around this and also has a project called open AI, which he's funded with a few others with a billion dollars to try and investigate AI and, and make it universally acceptable and, uh, sort of available to prevent it from overlording us, I guess.
1: <laughs> which you or be out of scope of Demon? this
0: episode? Yeah, we're not going to talk about that, but so I, I sort of felt like, okay, there's people, a lot of people are thrown around neural networks and it felt like it was turning into a buzzword and... I didn't know very much about how they worked and what they were in their history so I felt like it would be a good thing to talk about and have better understanding since it feels like autopilot and self-driving cars are are more and more going to be dependent on this concept of neural networks so it'd be useful to understand them better and we have an engineer on the on the podcast in you (laughs) so uh, we have a little bit of of ability to, to learn into a little bit deeper. So. What can you tell us about what is a neural network in its, you know, explain it like I'm five kind of format?
1: (laughs) Sure, sure. Um, So uh, neural net or neural network, it's actually short for artificial neural network, because obviously this is something that we are creating artificially. Mm. Uh, The idea is that it's based on, it's it's a technique for machine learning, or it's a machine learning algorithm, technically, and it's based on the biological structures of a brain, which would be the actual neural network. So we're okay. we're trying to generate an artificial analog to how actual biological brains have been set up. Um, okay.
0: So, wh- but why do we? Why are neural networks important? Why, why? Why couldn't we just solve these with equations that we have been writing for a long time? And programmers write a lot of code. Why, why do we need a neural network instead of just
1: writing code? Right. Well, it's an. It that's a good question. Um. So yeah, let's let's start by kind of breaking down that uh, definition right there. Um. So it's saying it's a it's a machine learning algorithm. Right. Um, machine learning is a subset of AI, which is artificial intelligence, which you've probably heard about. Mm-hmm. Um. Artificial intelligence is just the broad name for like the study of building machines that exhibit some sort of intelligence at some level. Mm-hmm. Um. Machine learning is a subfield where the idea is. That you're going to be training algorithms uh, using data. So uh, you don't actually have a set of solid rules of how things should behave, um, but you actually have data that you want to train something on. Like kind of like teaching a child how to do something. Um, and this is uh, in contrast to what's called like the symbolic approach to AI. Uh, which is like dealing with high-level formal logic. Uh, These would be the kind of things where you have like big rules of if this, then this. If your bank balance goes below this, then do this. If someone asks for this, then do that. Mm -hmm. Um, And you see that, uh, I I guess something like Siri would be kind of a a blend of both because there's neural networks and and machine learning going on with voice recognition, but then there's some formal rules going around with like, oh, they're asking about a temperature, so we're we're gonna look up the weather. Um, okay. and you see these in, in what are still, they're still used in like what are called expert systems where you might have things that are are helping you get through a, a menu of options or, or, um, things that help people do their jobs in, in some way like that.
0: So, okay. So I remember a long time ago, you know, some of the early AI was around playing chess. So was that a neural network in like the forties and fifties and sixties, or was that this symbolic AI you're talking
1: about? Um I think chess has been the the problem of, of playing chess has been done in both ways, but the primary way it was done first was through uh symbolic hard AI, um so not neural networks, because you can actually chess has a, a defined number of pieces on a and the pieces have defined moves that they can make. They're on a specific board and it's all rules based. And the um like the deep blue, the the machine that that uh, was the first one to beat i think kasparov Um, yeah i think that's right yeah so that was actually um just playing through all the different options and it its ability was that it could see very many moves ahead and it could calculate millions of potential plays in a second and it Mm. was basically kind of a brute force approach to uh to ai or to to playing chess um so it it's debatable as to how intelligent that was um it was sort of demonstrating some intelligence but in a very narrow field it was very the, one a lot of the problems around um i guess ai in general but specifically around these like uh highly uh programmed like formal logic approaches is that they're extremely brittle like a uh, deep blue might have been able to beat gary Kasparov at chess but he couldn't even tell Gary Kasparov that he was playing chess, like he has the the AI would have no concept of that it has no, it doesn't do anything except calculate the next best best move in its chess match. got it
0: so so essentially, the old approach was a problem area you could define and know sort of all the problem space and write out in code a way to you know what the rules of chess are and then just because computers can operate faster and basically run the game a million times or some number of times, it can predict which move is most optimal and take that move. Right. But for, so, so then basically, does that mean that neural networks are better for different types of tasks then? Like what, what sorts of, why would you want a neural network? Why did they come about
1: yeah, so it's it's interesting that you mention uh, old versus new too, because actually neural networks are quite old. Uh, they had been talked about in the maybe the '50s, if I remember correctly, and then the famous uh, AI professor uh, Marvin Minsky from uh, MIT, I think, published a paper in the late '60s um, hmm. detailing neural networks, or I, it was probably called something else at that point. Um, but yeah, essentially like laying out this this technique. Um, and yeah, so it's it's anything that you can actually train something on with data is a good candidate for this. Um, and then um, any kind of system where you want to, uh, where the amount of training that would go into it would be prohibitive. Like anything you can imagine, like a chess is a pretty constrained problem, even though it's difficult to play, there's only so many moves you can make. Um, but then there's like how many moves ahead you're calculating that creates a larger problem space. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's a, it's a defined uh it's a very defined problem space um something like recently there was uh, alpha go which was mm-hmm. the uh go program that was essentially taught how to play go which is uh i think infinitely complex if i if i'm not mistaken far more complex right. than chess because of the amount of potential moves you can make uh and the system that was um that beat the leading uh go player in the world uh was actually just trained to play go it wasn't actually it, it wasn't actually calculating through the entire problem space of moves because that was actually too large to calculate. So it essentially had to learn how to play just like a human would play. And actually from, from people who've seen the match too, it apparently even demonstrated some creative, what, what they're calling creative behavior, where it was coming up with moves that it wasn't actually trained to do, but it had kind of taught itself based on the games that it had played in the past. So that, that's yeah. kind of, it's more open-ended that way.
0: So that's interesting. So I guess one of the other things I was curious about was, like, is what, w- what would be an example of a neural network we might have already, like, interacted with? Obviously, there's some more modern ones. But when when did this actually go into practice and, and why was that particularly useful? Because I guess there's usually many ways to solve a problem in engineering. Uh, and so I'm curious why and when neural networks you know, first got their commercial, commercialization legs, if that makes sense.
1: Sure, sure. I mean, I think it they're very good at pattern recognition. So things that involve pattern recognition that are difficult to code, uh, were kind of the first areas where they started to make some, uh, commercial appearances, uh, specifically mm. handwriting recognition on the old, like Palm Pilots and, and, um, handsprings, which is another story. Um, but yeah, voice recognition, um, some translation, uh, stuff like that, where uh, there's a, a very narrow use case uh, and they, people are able to train these neural networks on data that has a distinct input and output, even though the like sort of middle layers might be like a three could be written lots of different ways. Uh, uh, the letter G could be written a bunch of different ways. But it's always going to be a G when you're training that thing. So you have this we're getting into uh essentially how yeah, you Yeah, so how do they work? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So we're getting into the training models here and, and this is uh like handwriting um is a specifically a good example of what's called supervised learning where you have like a no matter how many different little drawings you point to you you feed into the AI or into I'm sorry into the neural network, uh it's always gonna be a G, right? Because you're showing them all the different ways you can write a G. So it's gonna learn that way and it's a very constrained problem set. Um, and yeah, yeah. So the, so stuff like that, like, you know, you, you have some spoken words and you, you know what the spoken words are so you can actually train it that way. So those are the kind of things that it has, it has historically, uh, been used on.
0: So some of the things that sort of stood out to me as common threads amongst some of these neural network, uh, approaches or, um, tasks that they were well suited for were things that are senses of, uh, of humans and animals. So, things that have to do with sight and things that have to do with sound, um, and things that have to do with some sort of ambiguity. Uh, So like you were mentioning, the the idea that, you know, human, uh, after learning how to read and write, can see a word and detect what letters they are to then translate that in their brain to meaning, that to imagine writing a computer program that would, you know, detect the pixels correctly and identify that letter... Is really challenging to imagine how you do that well uh, right. and that neural networks so it says, let me play back how I think they work and you can correct me so the basic concept is you have a set of inputs and those inputs are generalized to um, you know a letter and that letter gets translated into positions or you know numbers that go into one side of this neural network And on the output, it will tell you uh, some other value. And during the training period, you you want to say, okay, this is a visual representation of a three. I know it's a three in this case for handwriting recognition. And so I'm going to give you a three image, and then you might tell me it's a seven or a 12. And I'd say, no, neural network, that's wrong. And then the neural network will go and say, okay, let me go adjust a couple things. And we can talk about what those couple things are. And we'll try again. And we'll keep trying, like someone learning to bowl or walk or something like that. Adjust a couple things. And then eventually it'll get to a three. And you'll say, yes, that's correct. And and then it will have been trained. And then you give it another three, but written by a different person. And it'll probably fumble. And it gets better. And then over time, it'll start to learn what makes a three a three in ways that we can't verbalize or describe in formal logic and it now kind of knows something about the inherent nature of a three that we don't really know how it does it, but it does. And then you just keep doing that over lots of different types of things you want it to learn. And now you have a neural network that's trained on how to recognize Letters and digits, for instance. Is that generally right? What, 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 yeah. what would you fill in there? What gaps did I miss?
1: No, no, that's, that sounds good. Um, that's basically uh, how it would work. And it, it, it goes to show how um, like having a limited domain, this is, like I said, the supervised learning uh, is kind of the first steps because that's the easiest way to, to do things. And then as you get into more complicated ones, which we'll talk about in a moment, like you can just feed it a general photo. And it'll be able to say there's a three and a four and a dog in there, uh, which, you know, kind of, and, and there's no way you're going to actually be able to show it every possible photo that of uh, the way a dog could be in a photo. Uh, so it, it's, you can get into more advanced ones where they're actually learning things that you don't even specifically train them for. Mm. Um, so, or let me say like, you know, you can say like all of these photos have dogs in them and it'll be and you know, they might have a million other different things in there but it'll realize it'll, it'll be able to detect that commonality and it'll learn without you actually circling where the dog is, like where the dog is, um, which is getting a little bit beyond. But I think maybe we should even just step back one bit more. We kind of dove right in here. And I feel like we also should probably talk a little bit about what, uh, when we say like, inputs and neurons and stuff like what yeah. that means and, and what exactly is the biological structure of the brain that we're trying to emulate here
0: yeah um, so so a, a typical computer uh system is is not what we're modeling this off of it's not just like right. if this then that or uh you know yes no gates or and gates or whatever this is trying to model it off of the brain which we have been getting more and more insight into, but it's not actually a brain. It's sort of an approximation of how it works so we're we're trying to do this idea of neurons and synapses and axioms what are dendrites what are what are all those different terms i <laughs> I saw them talked about, so how do they all fit together
1: yeah yeah so the the biological structure of a brain is based on neurons and connections between neurons um and that's essentially all the brain is i mean there's there's some other stuff in between, but the important stuff is that. You have neurons, and they have connections to other neurons, and they send electric signals hmm. uh, between them. And that's basically, you know, once you actually scale that up to a sufficient amount of, of complexity, you get a brain. Um, and then, so yeah, like the connections between them are actually there's like dendrites and axons that actually carry the um, carry electrical. the electrical yeah. charges through. That stimulate from one when one neuron can stimulate another neuron. And just to give you a sense of the scale, too, like a human brain they estimate have has like a hundred billion neurons, and each neuron can have like thousands or tens of thousands of links to other neurons. Yeah. so you're talking a, a, like 100, 100 100 billion. a hundred thousand trillion to yeah, hundred to a thousand trillion synapses, or yeah like what's that like a hundred thousand to a million billion yeah. synapses, so you're, you're talking an almost mind-boggling uh, amount of complexity,
0: and that's why we call it a network because all of those bits are connect all the neurons are connected to each other through this long chain essentially and, and lots of different right. pathways.
1: Yeah, and there's and to be clear that's also like the aggregate total um the brain is actually divided up into functions. Um there's like the visual cortex that most people know about where your eyeballs um connect to the visual cortex kind of on the opposite side from the eyeball so the right eyeball connects to the visual cortex on the left side of your brain and that is where what essentially would be pixels in a computer system but are coming from the rods and cones in the eye like the signals are yeah. traveling down your optic nerve into your visual cortex and then that's the input layer for that neural network yeah that's and then-
0: that's a really incredible thing if you think about the like physics of what's happening you've got light from the outside world coming into your eyeballs that's then being converted into
1: electrical impulses and Very analogous to how the CCD or CMOS on a, on a video camera is working. Yeah,
0: exactly, right? It, and it hits this, this film, and it turns it into an electrical impulse on this grid. And, you know, we don't necessarily have a grid. It's a little different, the rods and cones. And then that electrical impulse turns into a thought in our brain that, that represents something that isn't, you know, dots of light. And, and that the same light is able to represent all of these different Thoughts is sort of how the neural network mapping is. Like the same range of inputs uh, allow us to represent dogs or cats or millions of different things if you're training it on objects. That's like that's like the mental, that's a conceptual concept, right? That's sort of what it's trying to say in in this like technical way.
1: Yeah, and and what's really interesting when you think about that too is that there are you know, let's say there's a million humans that you're sampling, and all of them know what a dog is. All of them will have the you know parts of their visual cortex firing and then feeding into their neocortex or you know wherever else in their brain that is coming up with the representation of a dog, and every single brain that is coming up and, and realizing that this is a dog is doing it in a different way. Mm. So it's not like a computer program where you've explicitly programmed your your Mac OS laptop in a certain way. And every time it displays this alert, it's the same code as doing it on every single person's computer. Like every single person in that million person sample who recognizes the dog has a different neural network that's been set up in their brain, but is coming to the same conclusion.
0: Right. And if you take it another step further, the idea that, yeah, after you've seen maybe five or six or 10 dogs as a kid, you know what they are. And that's something unique to the brain that we still don't fully understand because Neural networks need thousands and thousands of samples. So that's intriguing. But then, as an adult, if you've studied lots of dogs, you can start to detect the differences between dogs and say, this is a German Shepherd or this is a a Golden Retriever, separate from just the general classification of a dog. And neural networks can get to that level of accuracy as well. And then the other crazy thing is they can see a dog they don't, you've never seen, you can see an animal you've never seen before and have a sense that it's a dog. And you can't always describe, you can be like, well, maybe the ears and it's furry and it's about this shape. And that that actually is very similar to the way that the neural networks have these different stages where they sort of detect different components of a thing to then learn, to, to then be able to have some confidence in things they haven't seen before. It's never seen this exact photo before or even necessarily this type of dog maybe. And it can tell you to a high level of accuracy that it's a dog, similar to the way a human can see something never, never seen before. And tell us a dog, and right. That's what you couldn't do in the past. You couldn't, if you hadn't, if a computer program hadn't seen those exact inputs in the past, it wouldn't necessarily. The chess game, to your point, wouldn't have been able to tell you what that was. It would just error, right? That's that's the really big breakthrough with neural networks philosophically.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I think the 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 path that we went down with kind of the high level formal logic approach uh, that led us into uh, the second great AI winter. in in like the late 80s early 90s uh was kind of that approach where you know you you as you explain it out you're saying this is a dog this is a german shepherd and you can kind of think hey as a human i know this is a dog and I know it's a German Shepherd, and I'm going to explicitly categorize it. And you, sometimes you do this, too, if you're, like, tagging a photo. Right, it's got black and gold somewhere. fur separate from, like, yeah, brown fur. Yeah, you might fur. go in, like, super super tagging mode and tag all sorts of stuff in there, and you're essentially, like, categorizing that photo. Uh, but there's an infinite number of possible tags that can be on a photo, and you're not going to actually put them all in. Mm-hmm. Got it. So I guess one of the other things I'm curious
0: about is, like, why... Why is this happening now? What's changed recently that's enabled neural networks to resurge and deep learning to resurge and all these technology companies, which have many different uh, approaches to problems. Why are they all converging on deep neural networks and
1: as the, the sort of holy grail solution? Right. Well, there's there's sort of two trends that have led us into the resurgence of of neural networks um part of it is just the steady advance of computing power uh cpus have gotten faster and faster and as we've sort of hit the limits of cpu speed we've started parallelizing them so Mm -hmm. they're able to do more things simultaneously Uh, and then specifically uh the all, all of the advances in technology that have gone into things like the playstation the xbox have created these gpus which are the kind of graphics processing units that display all of these almost like photorealistic graphics and it turns out the way gpus work is they're kind of a really really simplified cpu that's been radically parallelized so you might have like a thousand mini cpus in one gpu which means you can do lots and lots of things in parallel really quickly and it turns out like neural networks and the graphs that represent them you can operate on those in parallel quite easily like it's a what we call like a a readily parallelizable problem um, so the essentially, the ability to work with the neural networks has increased as our CPUs and GPUs have gotten more powerful. And then the other big thing has been the availability of the data that you need to train these neural networks. Uh, this is the big data that you've probably mm. heard about. Yeah, that was
0: a few years but back, too.
1: <laughs> right. Well, it's just we're generating enormous amounts of data, and the one thing that... These networks need to learn is enormous amounts of examples and training data, and then you end up with things like, like for instance, for instance, um, at Pinterest, uh, it's a visual bookmarking site, right? So people have post photos to Pinterest, and they categorize them. They'll say, "This is the dress I want," or "This is the bookshelf," and inadvertently, what they've done is created this billion photo, huge database of categorized photos, which then Pinterest is using to train their neural networks and now they can highlight part of a photo and say oh that's a lamp because they've had so many people go in and do it this is something that that Google has done with all of the search queries and stuff and how they know uh how they know what you're what you want to search for what's on pages or what's relevant is because so many searches have been done and then so many results have come back and then there's a feedback loop too where they can see if you've stayed on a page or if you've come back and clicked on another search result you're essentially training these networks. Um, so essentially, uh, to say, the the training data is, is is exploded, and there's the opportunity to train these networks in
0: useful ways. Got it. So the they kind of worked in the past, but in very limited sets. And I think you know there were lots of people and prognostications that neural networks would be the, the next big thing in the 80s, and it didn't really happen. And so what you're saying is that. The fundamental thing that they misunderstood was how much training data they'd need and how resource intensive it would be because they needed to build, you know, networks that had millions and millions of these simulated neurons versus hundreds of thousands. And that in, pra- in theory, it worked uh, on paper, but in practice, it wasn't working quite as well as they'd hoped and didn't generalize as well. And what we've seen recently is that when you can spin up like an EC2 instance with, you know, hundreds of machines for an hour that allows you to do stuff and that, you know, training data might've taken months or, or years to train. Now you can train in days or weeks or hours. So it allows you to actually improve these networks and work on them. And then also all this data that is actually being either contributed by humans in the case of like a Pinterest or a Flickr or, uh, you know, we'll get to a Tesla. Um, (laughs) <laughs> or that they just have you know there's just so much more stuff on the internet i mean the 80s there there wasn't user generated content in the same way and and there weren't people with cell phones that had cameras and computing and always connected internet in their pockets so the, the amount of photos and the amount of video and the amount of speech that was being recorded was far less so okay that all makes sense so i guess one of the things that I wanted to do when I had sort of heard the news that Tesla was going to be using neural networks in their own stuff was like play with it a bit and see, okay, well, what, what could we do? Could we make a neural network that would detect cars um, as sort of a toy? Um, and so we're like, okay, let's give it a shot. So we, uh, we, took a, we took a crack at it and we'll post some video or I guess a GIF of, of the outcome of what we did. <laughs> Um, and, uh, you know, I'm not a programmer, so I kind of wanted to try it myself. And so you, you helped me a little bit on some of the, uh, making it work. But I guess essentially what I did was I just took a lot of what was open source and available. So I took some of the NVIDIA stuff that was available, uh, that, uh, big EC2 instances that have GPUs in them to do that big processing and um, use some of the machine learning uh, algorithms that were out there and some models that were out there, so I didn't have to hand write my own neural network. I used it one that was used for detecting like farm animals. And I retrained it to detect cars. And uh, I found a data set that was out there with about five thousand, six thousand images of cars um, from the late, I guess it was like the early two thousands, and they they put bounding boxes around them um, so that you could, you know train it. So I would feed it an image that had, an image of a car, and then there'd be an outcome that was a text file with the coordinates of where that bounding box was, and I ran it through. And I, the thing that really shocked me was I had thousands of images in this data set, and I loaded it into this pretty beefy box on Amazon that's relatively expensive per hour. Uh, <laughs> and it took days and days to train, and it only got to maybe 60% accuracy. And you'll see in the, in the GIF that it only gets a few cars, Right. And, uh, and like, it's not, it's not nearly good enough to, you know, even just to tech cars. And that's not what you need for self-driving, um, which is sort of where we're all, what we're getting to with this discussion is like, well, why do you, why are neural networks being used in self-driving in Tesla? So I just found that really fascinating that, um, A, it was sort of possible to spin it up as like a a total novice and, and really sort of get some pieces together, but also, that even using open source, it is not to the point where you can just, you know, build a car detection system that works 99% accurately. Uh, that it's still pretty, I would need tens of thousands of images. And even when I did my own dash cam to try and, uh, you know, as the, a as the validation data, um, it, one of the things I noticed was that a lot of the training data the cars were from Europe. And so it, I don't think it did as good a job on the American cars as it would have. And also the cars were a little bit older and the lighting conditions were a bit different. So, um, yeah, I guess that just sort of, you, you sort of saw the progress as I was, as I was doing it. And I, I was really excited when it detected one, cause it was an image that I had taken here in 101 near, you know, near the Tesla headquarters and it <laughs> detected a car and I had, you know, made this thing happen and it wasn't built for detecting cars and I trained it to do it. But, you know that took weeks of me tinkering on it uh, at night a little bit and i didn't get very far so yeah that was the kind of uh humbling part of that experience i would say it, it was not the same <laughs> as like uh yeah I, I i it was not like the rails build an app build a build a blog and it's functioning this this thing really didn't do anything and it didn't even do it that well uh and it took right. a lot of work <laughs>
1: yeah yeah well and you're kind of getting it and you strangely you actually will have no idea why it is or is not working uh, that's the other problem with with neural networks i could
0: throw yeah i could throw more images at it but i don't know if that would actually do it better and then i would have to spend
1: another three days training it so it was yeah, there's definitely an art to to adjusting all of the inputs and the different uh levels of well i guess actually we should probably even talk a little bit more about how neural networks are set up too because we're, we're starting to talk about layers um and yeah, so there's like a neural network, um, like we said, is is neurons connected to each other uh, in a computer. You're going to have like nodes that represent neurons in this graph structure, and there'll be connections with various weights um, to them, and then the weights get adjusted as you train it. So there's two variables you can have. You can have like connections that may or may not exist between neurons, and then each of those connections can have a certain weight, which gives it different levels of priority and you'll have input layers which is where things like the pixel data from a camera mm. could come in this is where like radar data could come in um gps data essentially all of the sensors on the car in in the case of 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 uh, uh tesla um in the in the case of uh like recognizing handwriting it might just be the pixel data from whatever the stroke um that you're looking at is and then ultimately at the other end you have an output layer which is your essentially your results. Um so in the case of a self-driving car that would be what is telling you where how much to turn the wheel, um what to do with the accelerator, the brakes, um probably like what to display on the screen maybe uh, depending on how this is set up cuz it, it it's not going to be a monolithic neural network there's probably like a vision network and other things that feed into much like a brain has like a neocortex, a visual cortex, you know, various parts of the brain. Um, and then what makes it a neural network is in between the input and output layers, there are multiple layers in between, uh, which are the part, which is kind of the, the actual guts of the... The brain part. Neural network. Right. That's the part that gets... The
0: eyes and the thoughts are the input and the output.
1: Right. And those the, are the, def- those are the input and output are well-defined. The hidden layers in between, and, and depending on how many... Like you you can actually set up different amounts of layers depending on how much work you want to do. Um, Well, yeah, and how complex
0: the the, the problem is, how deep, how wide the network space you want to capture. If like you want to translate every language into every other language, it's going to be a bigger network than if you just want to do English to French.
1: Right. When you hear the phrase deep learning, the deep part is referring to how many layers are in between the output and input layers. Um, And yeah, so the as you feed things in the input and then adjust or you know train it as to whether the outputs are correct or incorrect or in the case of the self-driving cars that they're learning to drive by watching us drive so essentially the input layers are coming in which is the video feed and all the other sensors the output layer is also defined in that we know what the correct is correct values are based on what the drive the human drivers have been doing and then you can use that to train the network Um, And then, yeah, and then what happens in between is the sort of secret sauce that gets set up and kind of relates back to how I was saying that no matter if you have a million people and they all recognize a dog, how that actually is represented in the actual neural networks in their brain is going to be completely different from one person to the next.
0: Yeah, and I think the other thing that it's important to state, too, that took me some time to really internalize was that like I still couldn't understand how it worked for a really long time. And I still barely do because (laughs) it's so nebulous, this idea that, okay, you have these input values. So then they're going to trigger, uh, these artificial neurons. And then it's just going to move through the system. And then it's going to pop out some output that you hope is what you want. And I, I was just like, well, how does it actually work? I just kept digging deeper and deeper. How does it actually work? And, the best I could really come up with was that if you were trying to, you know, give it a a color of black and have it output the color black, um, it, you know, there's going to be this connection point to this middle layer and you basically need it to to repeat out what it gave you that there's some weight where um, one of those neurons is either going to go left or right, black or white. And if its weight allows it like multiplies that number and it's below a threshold of like, Oh, it's not going to do anything. Like you think about the neuron firing in your brain and that's going to make a, a connection to this other neuron that that's really sort of how to think about it. Like there's these weights are, are numbers that they kind of multiply based on those inputs. And then if that neuron gets stimulated enough and then there's sort of this equation inside each neuron about whether or not it's going to fire or not, then it's going to trigger some other neuron. And so parts of the internal neural network are going to get lit up when it sees different types of things. So like, like the first layer might first try and notice like edges. And then the next layer, if like it's a dog, then it might start noticing like that it's a certain shape. And then the next layer might notice different things. And so if you give it like a blob of, you know, I don't know, like dough or something as an image none of those network layers that have been trained on dogs are going to light up and so it's not really going to know what
1: to do and or well actually it'll it'll they will light up in so much as the doe kind of resembles a dog and it it might be able to tell you much like when a human looks at the clouds and says that kind of looks like a rabbit like it'll probably tell you that that doe kind of looks like a basset hound because that's its best guess right
0: yeah it'll give you some best guess and it'll give you some approximation maybe of what it is but that it it really is sort of this uh, uh, really t- yeah really tough to reason about way that it it ends up learning but essentially all these intermediate values all sort of either multiply together to tr- trip these systems and that when you when you look at it modeled out on a whiteboard you're like that's too little how is there enough data in there but then you actually think about there's millions of these connections and then you right. then you think about how the brain works like no neuron knows anything about you know what a piece of leather is or a piece of chicken or a dog like neurons don't know that but all in concert they can build this sort of map of what it is and similar to like even just like it's not the same but thinking about a tv and how there's red green and blue pixels and those pixels don't know anything about jennifer aniston or brad pitt or whatever like they don't know what those people are but when they're arranged in the right sequence they represent them uh, and they look like that person to us. And, and that sort of started to make a little bit more sense. When I, when I started thinking about it as like a, an LCD display uh, and each pixel fires at the right time, uh, or sort of like when people raise those uh, signs at a football game and they all make, it makes a message when you're viewing it from far away, but up close it doesn't look like anything, that's sort of how I've layman'sly kind of thought about what a neural <laughs> network is like. It's like, oh, raise your hand. Raise your hand, right. and and the right neurons doing it at the right time look like something, and that's kind of how it works.
1: Yeah, you you can kind of think of it. I mean, it's definitely a, it's a black box, right? And then these these hidden layers, like you say, in between, have different functions. Uh, and then actually, if you if you remember back, like last year or the year before, there was a big uh, fad on the internet with these deep dreaming uh, images or deep dream, where uh, they were these trippy psychedelic oh, right. yeah. images where you you feed it in an image. And it would show you like the face would get repeated a bunch of times and they'd be swirling. And it was this kind of crazy psychedelic thing, kind of everything kind of looked like a Salvador Dali. Mm. Yeah. Or you could make it look Van Gogh-y or make your dog right. look like he's painted by Van Gogh. Yeah. Well, uh, that's, that's a slightly different one, but yeah, the, the, <laughs> oh, sorry. The, the trippy, well, the, it's a similar time frame, but a different technique. Um, so that's more style transfer, but we can, uh, so the, what's interesting about the deep dreaming one is that that was built because the, people working on these neural networks wanted to get some visibility into what the hidden layers were doing. And they, I mean, there's, it's, it's not a direct representation of that because it, there, there's no image output on these things, but they, so with some massaging and and they were able to get these out of there. And what you're seeing is that when you feed it in the fo- the picture of the horse and you're seeing like three different horse heads and a bunch of legs all over the place, what you're seeing is at that layer in the neural network those are the features that it pulled out as being important. And that's why it's recognizing that as a horse. So it's, it's sort of kind of exposing what's inside that layer of that black box. Um, but yeah, so anyways, I, that's, that's kind of a, an interesting way they've, they've tried to do that. But ultimately, like, we just don't know. Yeah. Like, we don't know why, why they do things um, in, in the same way that we don't really know uh, why we do the things that we do, right? Like (laughs) the neurons fire and, and we have the ability to kind of like rationalize things after the fact. Um, but you know, we're, we're kind of, it just, usually we're firing off and saying, Hey, that's a dog. And then you can say, okay, well, that's a German shepherd and that, and then that's when sort of your higher reasoning kicks in. So there's different, different levels that are happening. Um, but one, one thing that's interesting too, with the, uh, With the neural networks and when we talk about how they're being applied here is to remember too that there's the training part which is what you were talking about taking a very long time and that's where from one neuron in one layer to the next neurons in the next layer the connections between them are being set up and the weights are being set and then that's that's the training phase and that's when the actual neural neural network is created because the amount of connections between the neurons will vary and then the weights of them will vary and then as the training happens, all of that gets built up. And then they go into, uh, like, when this, when you're actually in autopilot mode and your Tesla is driving down the street, it's no longer creating new connections. It's no longer re-weighting things. Like, your, your brain is always learning, right? Like, as a human, you're always learning stuff. And if you see something novel, you'll learn that, and then you'll most likely remember it next time, or maybe if you see it a few times, you'll remember it. But uh, the neural network, at least to my understanding, into how they're implemented is it's in sort of a read-only mode and it's not changing once it's put into the car it does get updated from time to time as like you know the fleet learning um, happens but in the case of something like a tesla all the teslas will actually have the same neural networks in them because they are all learning collectively and being updated collectively so they won't actually have that problem or maybe it's not a problem but they won't have that phenomenon of all having a different network for recognizing a dog but that's getting into an implementation detail right
0: right yeah and i think the the way i thought about this um and the high level conceptual idea was that so the training time is like if you were imagining going bowling or uh, trying to perfect your golf swing so you would you would go and you've never swung a golf club before and so your first action is like okay what am i trying to do and you try and hit the ball and you maybe you don't even hit it right like the club head doesn't hit the golf ball so then you adjust and then you try again and now that adjustment you're going to keep that adjustment if you hit the ball the next time and you're going to try and hold on to it and so so what you're saying is that that sort of concept is the adjusting of the weights in the network so you might tweak that 0.5 and this one neuron to a 0.6 and then it like oh it does something a little bit better and it's a, like it has a little less error rate. And so now, cool, now let's try it again and like try and tweak a different thing. So now I'm going to adjust my stance a little bit. And so over time, I'm going to you know do all these tiny little micro adjustments to my swing or my bowling angle, and then eventually I'm going to get it honed in. And then what we consider as humans like muscle memory is, would sort of be the neural network just doing its thing. And then like practice would be the training period for humans is that a fair assessment
1: yeah yeah and it's actually probably a good example too because every opponent's going to have a slightly different swing and everyone's going to adjust it in slightly different ways and you've got a very obvious fitness function where you're seeing where the ball went so you're you're able to say you, you might not be able to say this is what went wrong but you can say okay this didn't go right and then I'm going to try something and adjust it. And then if you've ever actually had a problem with your golf swing and tried to adjust it, you'll know how difficult it is sometimes to do that. And you're getting into how hard it can be sometimes to readjust these neural mm. networks once they get set up. And then you're also kind of getting into these sort of cascading between different neural network systems where you have like a optical neural, you have your visual cortex, which is doing one thing. Like you say, you have muscle memory, which is probably getting down into more of like a a limbic like system. Lower, yeah. yeah like a lower level limbic system lizard brain kind of thing and like that gets kind of programmed and that's kind of the automatic behaviors you have like i mean most obviously like breathing but even just driving in a lot of ways becomes very automatic where you're not actually consciously thinking about it it's not happening in your higher reasoning centers of your brain uh, so in in the same sort of way uh any sort of system like a self-driving car and and you can probably get into this a little bit with the NVIDIA system that Tesla's using, has different neural networks that are specialized, uh, different neural network systems that are specialized for doing different things like object detection and lane detection. And well, yeah, you can probably talk a little bit more about that. Cool. So I guess
0: um, we're coming up on close to an hour for this episode. So maybe we can put a pin in it now so we'll have the theoretical understanding of neural networks. And then next episode, we can talk about the actual implementation in some of the car companies if that sounds good yeah that sounds great cool so yeah i feel way more uh, in step with what's going on with neural networks um so where can people share their questions or thoughts because i guess we'll, we'll, we'll definitely talk about neural networks next week so if people have questions for us or other things they were confused by or, or wanted some more elaboration on where can they, where can they reach us?
1: <laughs> yeah. If our meandering, we, we really did try to stick to a more defined outline, but we really meandered all over the place there because it's, it's just very interesting. Um, but yeah, if you have any comments, questions or other feedback, you can reach us on our Reddit at, on our subreddit at r slash the Tesla show. You can tweet at us at the Tesla show, or you can hit up our website at the
0: All right, cool. Well, thanks a lot, Mike. I really learned quite a lot and I'm excited to apply this to the uh, self-driving stuff next week and dig in and share some of the stuff I found out about how some of these other companies are doing their own neural networks inside of their uh, respective companies. So we'll have a good discussion next week about the practicality of these neural networks. Sounds good. All right, talk to you later. Have a good one.